yeah, this race is, if it were 1,000 kilometers and 20,000 meters of climbing, fine. The gravel sections that they have put in here are, unless you are like an elite mountain biker on a mountain bike, are dangerous and unrideable. Um, and it's just making it not fun. Like, I feel like I'm not enjoying this country. Um which is a shame. I want to have fun. Like, I'm not doing this not to have fun. The kids are, the kids in this country are super sweet and so, like, curious and stuff. But when you're going up a technical climb and there's a bunch of them surrounding you, it's so dangerous. And that's all that's happening. Like, they're chasing you. I'm just, yeah, I'm just not enjoying it. <laughs> I'm not having fun. And right now, like, we're at, I we got caught in a torrential rainstorm last night. Um, I almost came off the bike. We got a taxi to a hotel about ten kilometers up, and um, everything's soaking. Nothing seems to get dry here because of that elevation. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just it's not fun. Like. <laughs> There's stuff in the group chat too, but the next gravel section, which again, it looks super dangerous. Like I'm just not, I didn't come to ride to, to do a bike race and walk half of it because the sections aren't rideable. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Definition of gravel is really different, I think. So we're just going to get some food and then decide what to do. I'm with my friend, Julie. We've been riding kind of, we're not as a pair of, but we're terrified in some of these sections so we're like doing it together <coughs> resupply is really difficult here and it is a safe country but as two women alone our experience is a lot different than some of the guys like the kids actually like touch us we've had like a couple of guys like this guy in one town like say he was a town leader and demand to know what we were doing and yeah i don't know it's just not fun. I'm just not having fun. That's the short end of it. And I think some of it's unsafe. And it's different from the other ultras I've done. I, a lot of people have scratched. Um, yeah. There's no food? Okay. Um, sorry, we're just... A, this little guest house but yeah that's it that's the update <laughs> day one and two were like good I felt really good but yesterday just kind of the gravel section is just getting increasingly harder and it, right now it's for us to get to the next checkpoint that means we'll have to ride the gravel in the dark and I'm not prepared to do that I'm not putting myself at risk um again I'm gonna see if I can get some food and then see how if I feel differently with a full belly but that's the short end of it how are you doing what's happening this is the metal set Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal from athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Welcome to part two of my Race Around Rwanda race report. So what you just heard is me giving Afshan a voice note update on the morning of my eventual scratch in the Race Around Rwanda. It was the morning after being caught in one big rainstorm and before I entered the jungle only to face yet what was another massive electrical storm. 
on a very treacherous road. So if you're just tuning in, it may be worth listening to part one for full context and my day by day in the race. In this part two, coach Neil Copeland and I chat through what happens after a race scratch, what I would have done differently. We also debate and discuss the definition of gravel and share some tips for those thinking of entering a self-supported ultra cycling race. We also discuss some points that all organizers should consider. Again, don't forget to check out the show notes as I share a list of resources, as well as the links to two earlier episodes we did with the women who raced Rwanda. It's good to get multiple perspectives on the race. Just a note, we did record this a little while ago, so some of the races Neil discusses have since passed. I've put Neil's handles in the show notes as well, so you can see his experience in the Dales Divide in particular, as told by him. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so you've got to the end of the rainforest. Yes. You've slept overnight, but you'd made you pretty much made the decision to scratch, but you know, as we all know, don't scratch overnight. And you've made the decision that you're not going to carry on. You're as I say, you're in the middle of Rwanda, edge of the rainforest. You've literally just got the clothes you're riding in. What do you, what happens next? <laughs> get a taxi back to Kigali. Was it I mean, that it, was it that simple? It was that simple there because the hotel we stayed at, the Eco Lodge, which I will put in the show notes because I highly recommend five out of five stars on Yelp. They are fantastic. Go stay there. It is a be- I think this is part of it as well, if I'm honest. Like if I had landed in <laughs> If at the edge of that rainforest was like the worst hotel in the world, I might have carried on. (laughs) So it's all the ecologist's fault. What happened was I landed at one of the nicest hotels, the best ultra accommodation I have ever, ever stayed in. It had a fire, it had soup. It was very cozy and I was quite happy to stay there. I mean, in all honesty, no, I would have probably scratched in any case, but... It was a nice place to land. It was that easy going back because the hotel was you know, quite used to international travelers. So they had an actual car there. And um, so Juliana and Juliet, who were on the race as well, they reached the Eco Lodge and had decided to scratch as well. So we all got a taxi back, which was one of the hotel cars. Now, (laughs) we gave our bikes to them and we were having breakfast and we came back out and three of our bikes were sandwiched on the top of this van (laughs) tied down. So we had to sort that out a little bit (laughs) before. My bike stayed on the top because it's titanium. (laughs) It's not carbon. So my bike was on the top. And then, yeah, uh, we got to drive back to Kigali. Yeah, I think because sometimes you you just kind of imagine what happens when I stop? How do I? Because the self-supported nature of it, it isn't just during the race. It extends to how to get yourself out when you're when you're stuck somewhere. And and how did it how did it feel then getting back to back to Kigali, back to back to where all the other the other competitors were, people finishing? How did you how did you handle that? I mean, I got back and had a proper shower and felt very good about that. <laughs> If I'm honest, like I felt a bit cheapish, you know, going back. Um, not that I was ashamed of scratching or anything, but it's kind of like, how am I going to feel when people are coming in and finishing and you didn't? And I didn't know how I would feel. And, you know, to be honest, everyone who I came across was so nice and 
you know, didn't mean anything to them. They didn't care, which was nice, which is exactly what I wanted to happen. Um, so that was great. And yeah, I just kind of, I'm trying to remember actually, it feels like a bit like a blur because, you know, I think I probably had a bit of race brain. Um, but I remember getting a shower. I remember getting some food and feeling quite okay about everything and just waiting for the last few people who I was around on the race, Julie, Jay, to come in. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's, uh, it's, I think it's easy for somebody coming into this kind of sport new, going through a similar experience and thinking, well, I I don't belong at the finishers party. I don't belong at the end. I'm going to feel bad. And I, you know, I, I think you people should go back, should turn up because, you know, scratching is such an inherent part of mm. what we do. Everybody scratches at some point. Uh, it, finish rates are usually 50 to 70%. So it's it's not unusual and, and it's a, as integral a part of, of ultra racing as, as finishing is. So, yeah, get get back, try and enjoy it, get involved with everything that's going on. So you've had a few a few weeks to kind of, reflect and ponder on the whole experience and clearly from talking to you it was it was hard it was tough but what was the highlight oh goodness the highlight please Mm. tell me there was a highlight (laughs) no I think there were lots of little moments on the race that really was about my fellow racers, you know, little funny and fun moments that we had together. We were staying at another hotel. All of us kind of ended up, you know, people at the back ended up at this another, another hotel, Clement house. Again, five out of five stars. (laughs) Highly recommend, but we ended up at this place and, you know, we didn't know if they would be able to cook us food because we just randomly showed up. It's not like they were expecting people. It turns out they were able to make probably one of the best meals I've ever had in an ultra race. Really, really beautiful, fresh, delicious food. We all sat down and I was like, oh, family dinner. <laughs> we're all kind of like <laughs> this ragtag, filthy group. <laughs> and it, you know, like me, Max, Juliana, um, Julie, Jane and Bart showed up. And that was really, really nice. And there were just other little moments on the race, you know, having fun time and, you know, mechs along the way, having a cigarette. <laughs> I hope he's okay with me saying that. Just super funny, you know, just super funny. And I think, you know, having listened, you know, I did another podcast with two podcasts, actually, with the women, um, on the race or nine women on who were on the race, they gave their thoughts and perspectives of the race. And it's really a common theme, like how wonderful everybody is on these things. Like it's, yeah, people, I think besides Rwanda, you know, which is stunningly beautiful and getting to see Rwanda and all of its, you know, beauty. It was really the people, you know, Julie, Max having fun, Juliana, Juliet having fun along the way with them was was really the highlight and obviously the the follow-up question to that is what was the what was the lowest moment i think the lowest moment was probably right before i scratched like bawling my eyes out to (laughs) army guys (laughs) i I bet they've not i bet they've not forgotten you 
there. I probably still talked about there that crazy woman that showed up and started crying, <laughs> bawling. Yeah, that was probably the low light, I would say. Just being caught in that weather and feeling really unsafe, really, you know, because of the trucks on that particular stretch of road and cold and like this isn't fun anymore. This is self-punishment. And I'm actually afraid of what will happen. That was a low light. That was a yeah. huge low light. <laughs> and and does that assessment hold up having had the chance to to reflect and, you know, there being some distance between the race and, and now do you still feel that that was all the right assessment? I do. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so yeah. kind of leading on from that then, what, what do you think you would have done differently um, other than, other than like not do not the race? Not believe you or Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what? They're, you know, they're, they're valid questions and it's probably, we'll get into that a little bit, but yeah. What would you have done differently both beforehand in terms of selection, due diligence, preparation, but then also, would you? do you think there's anything you could have done differently during the race that would have helped? I think physically I was fine. I felt fine physically, like my physical training. So kudos to you for a great training plan. Like I didn't feel, <laughs> you know, I felt physically able. Obviously it's tiring and hard and all the rest of it, but I didn't feel like I was, I didn't, yeah, I felt fine. I felt like I can, could have continued on physically. I think I probably would have, spoken to Eleonora, who did the race before, who I know. Um, I probably would have done a lot more research on Rwanda as well. Like, I don't know, watch more content around the race, which I did. I watched some of it. I spoke to Simon, obviously for the podcast. So I had certain idea in my mind about what I was in for. And um, I think probably more research I think I would have done. I do think some of the communications could have been a bit better from the race organizers, like in terms of, and I've had this conversation with Simon after the race as well. And I think it's hard to like Simon said, everything was rideable and he's not a great gravel cyclist. And I'm like, you are, if you rode everything on that race, you are a great gravel cyclist. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think I probably would have spoken to more people who had done the race um, before to kind of get, you know, their perspective. I think sometimes people come back from these things and have rose colored glasses, you know, like, or forget how hard things were <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Like I certainly think, you know, if I look back on Biking Man Oman and Biking Man Corsica, I loved every second of those races. Like I don't, you know, had hard moments for sure, but I don't know if I'd be able to accurately tell someone how hard they were because they were hard, you know, they were certainly hard, but I just love them. And I don't know, is that me just having rose colored glasses about the races? I have no idea. So yeah, I think I probably would have did more, bit more research. I think I was probably a bit naive about how I would feel in, you know, a place like Rwanda. Rwanda is amazing. I felt like I wasn't prepared for how I would feel when the weather turned. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and also just kind of considering things that you, you know, having done races in countries that I'm familiar with to a degree, Oman, um, I know Taiwan, you know, I, I knew somewhat what I was in for, for ta in Taiwan as well, because I had lived in Japan, you know, and I kind of had an idea about what Taiwan would be like. Rwanda, 
you know, it's developing. And I didn't know how, you know, thinking about what kind of healthcare you would get if you had an accident, how that really impacted me on the race as well. And also, I think one of the things now it's coming to me, what I would have done differently is definitely be way better at mechanics. Like, because I think that would have helped my confidence yeah. on some of those sketchy parts of the race. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I think I, I think one of the interesting things or one of the considerations is, and, and I know we've talked about this before, I mean, and you talked about the communication could have been better. And, and I know a lot of that, a lot of that is around how do you articulate the difficulty of an off-road event? Because mm. off-road events are very, uh, let's say, skill and experience dependent in terms of how difficult you find them. Yeah. Um, for someone who's been riding off-road all their life, then they might not find it hard and it is all rideable and it's all fairly straightforward. They would struggle to articulate how difficult somebody new to off-road riding would find it. And 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 we know that that's a challenge, not just for race around Rwanda, but it, it seems to be a difficult uh, thing to do for a number of off-road races. And, and I think part of the challenge is we're trying to welcome in new people to events. We're trying to get more people from road ultras into off-road ultras. And I think people can often, they, they pick up a gravel bike, they've done a few road ultras and think, right, bring it, I'll go and do an off-road ultra. I think one of the things, and you're saying it now, probably without knowing it, is maybe not calling it gravel, calling it off-road. <laughs> I Look, I hate the word gravel because gravel doesn't really exist anywhere outside of mainly the US, where they mm. do have gravel is graded roads that they drive cars along. And you can drive, you ride bikes along and it's very consistent. I, I hate the word gravel, in the, especially in the UK, because we don't have gravel. We mm. have we have off-road and that can run from everything to an easy trail or an easy track that you drive a Jeep along to pretty full-on single technical single track. Yeah. And similarly, you know, when, wherever you go anywhere in the world, people like to say, oh, we've got a gravel race. Well, do you mean it's a gravel race? People think things like Dirty Kansas when they're thinking of gravel races and it ain't that. Well, maybe this is it. Maybe I was just sold the gravel dream. I thought it was, you know, uh, yeah. And the, gra the gravel dream is a, is a myth to sell bikes. <laughs> Not that I disagree with gravel bikes. I think they are great things, but I do think that people before doing a a gravel quotes event on a gravel quotes bike, they should try riding that gravel bike up and down pretty rough roads nonstop for sixteen hours. And yeah. Then tell me how your hands feel. Yeah. Yeah, and how, I, I, and how I you feel agree. mentally? It's, it's, it's like if we say it's off road, people were like, mm, "I don't know what that means." I will check. I'll take it a bit more seriously. Mean. Like what you know, how, what's the split between double track, single track, technical climbs, really rocky stuff? Whereas people hear gravel and they go, "Oh, it's gravel. I can do that on my gravel bike." Sorted. Yeah. Well, like I said, I would have changed the tires. You know, I would have, I, or I wouldn't have. I would have stayed on what I was training on, which was fifty millimeter. Tires. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can only, I mean, I'm, oh, it's weird. I don't know. Am I experienced? I don't know. You know, like, cause I've done these big races, but I've only really started cycling in 2019, you know, or the start end of 2018, start of 2019. And let's face it, haven't done much international cycling in the past couple of years because of the pandemic. So, I mean, from my perspective, it was very tough off-road. I do have a dart bike. I'm not very good at it, but I, <laughs> but you know, it helped a little bit and I thought it was really tough. Now, 
some people who are really experienced, you know, like really experienced mountain bikers said that they would have taken a mountain bike on it. So I don't know, you know, Julie, for example, definitely would have had a different setup. She mentions that. So, and I think a few people did the race on mountain bikes and I think they had a better time. <laughs> I, and I, I think it's also really important to understand for anybody thinking of doing something like race around Rwanda or maybe some of the other, the other ones uh, in developing countries is the terrain changes all the time, both mm-hmm. because of weather systems, flooding, et cetera, but also roads being created and roads being taken away and just be aware that somebody's experience, so my experience three years ago was on a gravel bike with 38 mil tires and I, it was fine. I wouldn't have chosen anything differently. There was nothing on the route three years ago that needed a mountain bike. And it was all probably what I'd consider gravel quotes, but things change. and, And I know the course was different this time around. So just, I think for people looking at these kinds of events, do, do your due diligence and do Listen to Dawn, run the fattest tires you can. This uh, this is a conversation that comes up all the time. People mm. go, oh, you know, can somebody tell me a fast rolling gravel tire? Because it's a mixed event like Rwanda. I'll tell you what's slow, walking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, this is the bit. So, I mean, like, because Rwanda is still 50% road. And I think a lot of people go to these events and go, right, it's 50% road. I need to set myself up to be fast on the road. I, think I don't even my, remember any of the road. My my <laughs> strong professional opinion as a coach who's done lots of these, and I'm sure this would match with Dawn's opinion, having done done the Rwanda races, don't think about how do I set myself up to be fast on road. Think about how you're going to make yourself safe, comfortable, and quick off-road, mm-hmm. because that's what's going to make the difference, not whether you're going to be a kilometre an hour quicker on the roads. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You said it. Yeah. It was, I mean, anything else I would have done differently. I did run a pretty light kit, which I felt was perfect for me. Like I had everything I needed. One thing I probably look back on and maybe was a bit of gel, bit jealous of people having were those hydration vests. Yeah. And I think if I were doing something <laughs> off-road again, <laughs> I definitely would have had one of those just because it's easy. And I certainly didn't uh, drink enough. <laughs> I, I think when you do one off-road event in the UK and your bottle gets covered in sheep shit, that immediately turns you off bottles and onto hydration vests. Because yeah, well, day you- one, I rolled over some cow cow dung and didn't realize till I picked up my bottle, I had the water in my mouth and it was all over my hands and then was afraid to drink the water and had to spit it out and like I think was surrounded by children. It was just a bad moment. <laughs> but think how good that's been for your gut microbiome. No, you know, not you, good. You probably have this super healthy gut flora no, now. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't drink the water, but that was pretty gross. So yeah, those hydration vests. So, so outside of your water bottles, what was your most useless bit of kit? Hmm. I had no mechanicals, so I didn't use any like anything there. But I mean, that's all needed. I don't think I had any useless kit. I don't think I had any useless kit at all. I would have taken more wet wipes too <laughs> to clean off said dung off of my bottles. But no, I had everything I needed. I don't think I had any any useless kit. Good. So, I, and I think we've we've covered a lot of kind of areas that you would give advice for 
to people signing up to this. Is there anything, I know you've done the podcast with, with all the other female competitors. Is there any mm-hmm. advice you'd give to, uh, advice you'd give to women signing up? And also, you know, what advice can you give to encourage women into the sport? For this particular race for women signing up, I would suggest you listen to my podcast. No, I'm just kidding. But I do think, you know, it's worth having listening to other women's experiences. Personally, I can only speak for myself. I would do this race as a pair. If I were doing it again, I would not do it solo. I think do your research on the country you're going to as well. Like things that will make you feel safer on the race or they did for me because I think about everything is or would have made me feel safer is knowing what the healthcare system is like in a certain country. Um, You know, Rwanda is very, very safe. One of the the funny things about it though is so densely populated, right? It's you're surrounded by people all day and then at night there's no one. So you're either surrounded or you're completely alone. Um, So think about how you would feel um, about that. You know, for me, it was when I was alone. So I wasn't alone a lot. But when I was alone, it was pretty confronting, you know, a bit. I know some people found it quite peaceful. But as a woman, you know, we have another layer of things that we think about when we're riding alone in remote places and a level of danger, I guess, if you will, that could happen anywhere in the world. And it happened to me in Oman, you know, for like, as case in point, and a country I felt very comfortable in having lived in the Middle East um, for 11 years. So yeah, I, I would say do your research on the country overall, the weather, speak to other women who have done the race as well. Yeah, just kind of absorb as much information you can and about other women's experiences. That would be my advice. I wouldn't say don't do it, but I would say definitely feel comfortable asking questions and hard questions about safety. Like, for example, one of the things, and I only saw this on another, um, I think it was an ultra running group or organization she races to get more women involved in ultra running. Don't be afraid to ask questions about certain elements that are unique to women. So one of the things is, you know, where do we go to the toilet? (laughs) It matters. And I had that thought in my head, you know, like to ask that in the race briefing and I didn't. And I think don't be afraid to ask those questions about safety measures, um, about kid advice, and hopefully you get, you know, a straightforward answer, but also what they're doing from a safety point of view to ensure that the people on the race are um, safe. Yeah. And I, I think that's a valid point, not just for encouraging and advising women signing up, but I think race organizers, you should be prepared for those questions. Yeah. Because so many just don't even touch on any of that, especially around the safety aspects. And I think especially where it's predominantly male organizers who I'll I'll be honest. We we don't have that layer of anxiety and worry that you're talking about. We Mm. we struggle to empathise with it and be aware of it, but we should be. So I think race organisers have to be ready for those questions and have thought about what the answers to those questions should be. I mean, I would suggest race organisers to speak to women. You know, like share the plans and what you're doing and get women's advice and thoughts on that. That 
you know, I think natural to do that. I know there's a lot of discussion about, you know, in other, other sports like rugby, for example, about safety and sport and stuff, but you need to consult with the people that you're actually creating policies, you know, for and around. So I would encourage if it's, you know, a bunch of male organizers of a race, invite some women to be part of that organization. And I think a lot of women will happily give their feedback and advice on that. Cause as you said, you know, we experience the world differently than you and, um, you know, situations that you wouldn't be afraid in certainly make me, you know, might make me or other women very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think as, as male competitors in, in these races, we have to be aware of that. Yeah. We have to inform ourselves of that um, because, it, and I've, you know, spoken to women during and after races and yeah, so sometimes it is a shock to us that some of these things go on and it shouldn't be a shock and we should be ready to help and support. Some really good points there and, and hopefully, hopefully race organizers are listening. Are you glad you went? Yes, now I am. <laughs> it's taken a while to process. Um you know, thinking about it and coming again, kind of going through the process, like, oh, I'm a failure. Did I fail? You know, and then like, no, I didn't. I took care of myself. You know, like it, these are just inner monologue questions that are going through my head. Am I an ultra cyclist? Like I remember when I first, when I initially scratched, I was like, can I even call myself an ultra cyclist anymore? <laughs> you know? And um, no, I'm glad I went, you know, I'm glad I had the experience. I, I think, you know, a lot of this comes down to luck sometimes. Had I not had those two rainstorms, I don't know. Maybe I would have finished. I don't know. You know, don't know. But they really messed with me. You know, like I, like I said, I felt at a cellular level, something was going to happen to me that if I continued on, something bad would happen. So am I sad I went? No, I, will I do the race again? But I don't think so. I don't know. I don't really have any unfinished business with some of these races. I'm like, no, it's fine. That chapter is closed. There's no need to revisit that. Will I Will I go back to Rwanda to cycle? Absolutely. Like I followed a couple of people, Jay um, and his wife. His wife didn't take part in the race, but Jay Cowie took part in the race. And they went bikepacking in Rwanda right after the race, two of them. And I just... It looked like they had a magical time, you know, and I was like, I want to go back and do this. <laughs> I want to go back and chill and like have a really nice time, ride at a, whatever pace I want and enjoy. So no, I'm not, I'm not sad I did it at all. It was uh, an experience. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, some people might take that to being, oh my God, I'm now swearing off ultra racing. But no. uh, so what's, what's next for you? So dead ends and cake is next for me. <laughs> so the, um, it hasn't it hasn't put you off the whole ultra experience. You're still mm, chasing that fatigue and hallucination and messy, dirty hair. Yes, but um, and I mentioned to you before. I think for me, five days on a ultra race is probably my max. You know, I go into a dark place after that. So dead ends and cake is about. 500 kilometers. It's three days, I think about 9,500 meters of climbing and three days I can do <laughs> three days of like hard stuff. And there's cake. I was going to so, say with cake, with what's cake, not to love with cake as well. And you know what? I have never been, I've never ridden a bike in Switzerland. I've never, I've been to Switzerland, but I've never actually 
rub my back there. So just uh, take a few spare credit cards. So you think Dubai's expensive? Take a bivy back. Don't sleep in a hotel. No, I'm bankrupt. sleeping in a hotel. I don't care. I will bring the credit card, put it on credit. I'm not bivying. No way. I'm, I don't know. People are like, how does she even do raises? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I like comfort. I am not sleeping on the side of a road anywhere. If I, I don't have I, to. I, I, you know, three years ago, I was totally with you. I was hotels all the way. But there's something liberating about finding a hidden little ditch and sleeping by the side of the road. No. <laughs> But yeah, dead, end, dead ends and cake. Dead ends and cake sounds amazing. And, you know, as we were saying before this, uh, we need more like that. We need more that have a bit of a lighthearted spirit to them. Anything that involves cake has got to be good, right? Exactly. And it's 50% women doing the race. So, which is really appealing to me. I think, you know, having more women on the start line. And I think I'm going to speak to Dominic, the race organizer on the podcast to get a bit of background on that. But I think you know, more women make a race really great. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, you have got your work cut out because it's when's, when, when is Dead Ends and Cake? End of June. Okay. So we meal. have two and a half months. Yeah. It's heaps of time. <laughs> it is. It is heaps of time. Plenty of time to to build on the the fitness you, you got for Rwanda and, and really get you ready to ready to enjoy Dead Ends and Cake more than anything else. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Like, I'm not going into this with a lot of pressure on myself either. It's just purely to enjoy. I mean, obviously, I want to ride my bike hard and I want to finish it within the time limits and everything and have a good time. But yeah, just the aim is to have fun. Good. Awesome. Well, great to talk to you. Great for you to share your experiences of Rwanda. And thank you for having me on as kind of guest guest host. Yeah, well, you were like the roving reporter, not roving, but you were the static reporter anyways for Dot Watcher. <laughs> I, if you would like to send me away somewhere more exotic, I'm more than happy to be a roving reporter. Uh, well, I was I was thinking at the, you know, after when I was like, where's Dot Watcher getting all this? Where's Neil getting all this info? I didn't realize you were on our WhatsApp group during the race. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, I was giving you something to really report on. <laughs> I was sneakily listening in to everything that was going on. Yeah. So, yeah. What's next for you, Neil, actually? Uh, next up for me is the... Uh, so this year is a big year of off-road, uh, off-road racing for me. Uh, I'm taking on probably the hardest event in the world uh, in August, which is the Silk Road Mountain Race. So everything is about building up and getting ready for that. So in... Two weeks on Friday, I have the Dales Divide, which is, I think it's it's really become known as like the one of the great season openers here in the UK. Uh, 600 kilometers off-road, uh, onside in Cumbria to Scarborough and back. Uh, I did it last year. I had a few issues with tires, so I'm looking for a clean run this year. Um, it's, it's one of those where uh, you've got the whole Easter weekend to do it. And it attracts all kinds of people. Uh, but the front, the pointy end does get quite competitive. And I think if you want to finish top 15, then you're probably not sleeping. So last year I slept for three hours. This year we're going to try and see what we can do. But it, it does, because it's Easter, it depends so much on the weather conditions. Um, it could be dry and fast um, and relatively easy conditions, or it could be uh, snow. 
And there there has been some chat recently about it could be snow. So I've got, I'm prepping two kit lists at the moment. There's the, it's going to be dry and not too cold kit list where it's all about going as fast as I can. And there's the, it's going to snow and I need to be able to bivy out in a storm kit list, which would be good, good prep for Silk Road. And then moving on from that, I've got um, Trans Balkans in June. Oh, you're doing that? 1,400 kilometers from uh, Slovenia through Croatia, Bosnia into Montenegro, uh, which I am super excited about. I love the Balkans. Uh, came through there on TCR last year, on uh, obviously on road. Um, I'm hoping this time not to get bitten by any dogs, uh, although I believe there's I'm There's bears prob- and I'm there's probably, snakes. There's, I'm probably rabies proof. And landmines on the, that road. The bears and the landmines worry me. I'd not even thought about the snakes. But yeah, that's that's going to be fun. I, I coached, uh, I coached two women for it last year, Ivana and Audrey, and yeah. they just came back with these amazing tales of how it was. Uh, then quick short race in July in the UK called the Dorset Divide. Uh, which is just like 450k so it'll be a bit of a long training ride Uh, and then silk road in august which is just about 2000 kilometers through the uh through the mountains of kyrgyzstan how many meters of climbing is uh is that anticipated Uh, to be i think it's about thirty-five thousand meters of climbing oh and how many what's the time limit uh 15 or 16 days wow Okay. So it's <laughs> tough. I think the winning time last year was around eight and a half days. Who won that? Uh, uh, it, so last year was an uh, amazing battle between Sofiane and James, so Sofiane Saheli and James Hayden. Really, I mean, they finished like 40 minutes apart. It's We're like getting, photo you know, finish there were live in updates world. on Instagram of, of them videoing them coming over the top of the last pass. It was, it was just, it was epic. Like the highest point is going to be something around 4,200 meters. I'm prepping for conditions anywhere between plus 40 degrees and sunny and minus 10 and snow. So, you know, a lot of the challenge is figuring out how you handle that range of conditions like how do you deal with it when it's that hot and then how do you actually manage to get a decent night's sleep when it's minus 10 and you're in a snowstorm at four thousand meters mm, yeah next level kind i of. think i'll be quite happily uh watching you from somewhere <laughs> and, then, warm. and then i'm gonna take some time off so, <laughs> yeah, so yes, i think you all, need some time off after it's, that it's all gonna be fun and, and training's been going pretty well i'm feeling i'm feeling confident about where i am kit list is getting finalized a few bits and pieces i've had to i've had to kind of spec up uh, but we we are close to being ready on that front exciting times absolutely yeah okay great well we'll be in touch anyways because you're going to be commenting on my training peaks and i'm going to just uh, oh, completely yes. ignore it <laughs> every day because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't ever respond on training peaks um but yeah thank you so much for um being a guest interviewer we'll have to do it again sometime my pleasure all right see you later (laughs) thank you so much for listening today we hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did we ask that you please share it with family teammates friends and even frenemies or share via social media please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.